Hello, hello, and welcome inside to uh, the Midlife Pilot Podcast. This is a podcast uh, all about flying and aviating in midlife, and we're up to episode 29 being recorded on uh, the first day of February of 2023. My name is Chris Moran, also known as the Midlife Pilot on YouTube, and uh, really glad to uh, have you with us here for this uh, episode, Uh, joined as always by my... uh, co-host and friend and fellow aviator deep deep in the heart of uh music row in nashville tennessee it's brian siskind and good evening did you good evening sir did you know that there's a there's a studio on music row it's reba mcintyre's studio and they put a helipad on the top of it and then never were were able to use it because they figured out that that's a terrible idea for a place with a bunch of recording studios (laughs) yeah that tracks (laughs) <laughs> I, see, I see the problem. <laughs> uh, but how are you? Welcome, everybody. And uh, it's awesome to be here. I'm, I feel like I'm warmer than you are right now, Chris. Yeah, I've made, I may have made a bad decision. I was, I was all in for the aesthetic and it was great getting set up. I've been here for about just over an hour. And um, at this point, the cold has set into my bones and uh, my hands are deep in my pockets because it is, <laughs> uh, is well, while I'm fortunate to have a hanger, it is not heated. So it is, uh, it is quite quite chilly my wife said when i was leaving she's like you know you can you can put a backdrop behind you or like virtualize it and i'm like no no that takes away from the that takes away from the the theme here it doesn't feel quite the same what i think here's for the audio podcast audience that'll get this later uh what we're seeing is we're seeing chris i mean you see the form of an airplane but i mean in all honesty it kind of looks like it's not real yeah like you know the background almost looks like it's fake but also um you, you could just put like a Greyhound sign up there and then everything just the whole aesthetic really starts to come together. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could pass for that for sure. For um, sure. Well, let's let's uh, let's get into this whole thing. Uh, we have we have a great uh, special guest um, tonight. And so uh, would you like me just to go ahead and just get yeah, in here, introduce him or whatever? Let's do it. Yeah, we can we can we can uh, shoot shoot the breeze here once he's with us. OK, so we all think that we're we're. Um, you know, doing something by flying in airplanes with, you know, doors and uh, chairs in them and seats in them and things like that. Well, um, our, our guest, uh, special guest today, Tom Kubot, welcome. He's a paramotor uh, pilot that, is that right? Paramotor, paraglider? I don't even know. Yeah, you're right. Paramotor. Okay. And, uh, and has gone on to uh, get his private pilot, is working on his instrument. And, um, you know, the, the algorithm connected us a long time ago uh, to where I was uh, keeping up with you. And so it's really cool to have you on. I think you're a great uh, uh, video, you know, YouTube filmmaker and, and somebody that is also a good storyteller. And I think that what I want to get into tonight um, to everyone's benefit here is going to be around some of these some of these these tall tales that you've uh, told on, on some of your, your videos. So it's, it's really cool to have you, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, and and so you know, first of all, I think that the most important thing for people to understand is that you know, like I said, you you've come at it from a different angle uh, than most people, and you have a different destination, perhaps, than most people in the sense that you you came at it through paramoting, paramotoring, and then you have the intention of becoming a professional pilot. Most of us midlifers, although you're a slightly less than midlife so maybe that's the saving grace for you but uh like we're cooked we're done we have we can't have aspirations but uh no it's not true but ultimately i think it's really fascinating that while most of us some of us might have some commercial aspiration to some subtle level like maybe a cfi maybe doing some you know uh, little things you know but not uh i don't think as big of a goal as you have so tell us about just your path to aviation and then also uh where you're trying to get Okay. Yeah. Um, so again, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Um, and yeah, I guess my path to aviation, I'm a, I'm a first generation aviator. So I didn't, I didn't come from anybody in my family flying, nothing like that. I just, you know, as a kid was obsessed with aviation, a lot of, um, flight simulator and RC airplanes, things like that. And then, um, you know, as I got older, I got into motorcycles and got in some motorcycle accidents and was kind of getting done with that and realized I saw like a, a video on YouTube of somebody paramotoring and I was like, whoa, that looks, that looks pretty fun. And I looked into that 
And I said, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Wait, so, wait, hold on. so you're like, I, I need a safe alternative to motorcycling. Cause I'm having accidents. <laughs> I saw somebody with a lawnmower strapped to their back in the sky <laughs> and thought this is the next path. I get how that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's one thing I like about paramotoring. It has the perception of being gay, but it's actually, right. um, but yeah, so I, I sold my, my motorcycles and my dirt bikes and I, you know, I bought my first paramotor. I actually sold the, my, my Jeep at the time too, to finance it. And, basically sold everything to get into this. Um, cause I figured that was what I was gonna be able to do. Um, that was my like path into aviation, um, going to college. That's what I wanted to go to college for, but, uh, a guidance counselor actually talked me out of it while I was like interviewing at the school. They said, no, you don't want to go to school for aviation. Huh. Um, that's, that's a bad idea. Go to school for what, what else are you good at? I'm like math. And they're like, okay, be an engineer. I was like, okay. So that's why, that's how I got into engineering. Um, but didn't listen uh, to myself, I listened to the guidance counselor, kind of regret that. Um, and so I said, okay, I'll just fly later on in life. And that was always the goal. So I, I was flying paramotors for a long time. And like I was telling you guys in, uh, earlier, uh, I didn't think I'd be able to get into general aviation um, until I was much, much older. So it was kind of like a retirement plan, but um, was able to make it happen earlier. And I was really fortunate. And I wanted to wait until I could buy buy an airplane because I knew I couldn't afford to rent it. I knew if I got my license and um, you know stopped flying, that it would be hard for me to to rent planes and afford the hourly cost of going up and, and renting. So saved up, bought my Cessna 150. I was a 1976 Cessna 150. Bought that, learned to fly in it for a year, put 200 hours on it, um, and sold it for more than I bought it for. So it was like 200 free hours of flying, and then traded that up and I bought. Uh, last year, this no, last year in 2022, I bought a, a 1966 Mooney M20E, and so that's that's how I got to where I'm at today in aviation. Oh man, that's awesome! And so, and you're you're um, embarking on your how's your, your instrument rating? So that is, it's going slower than I wanted it to. It's yeah. already February of 2023. I was hoping to be almost done with it by now, but um, just life schedules work, yeah. um, and I'm actually having trouble linking up with a a good CFII. Yeah. right now. So I, I think I've got a guy lined up, but we're having, having trouble getting, getting aligned schedule wise, but hopefully I can get that sorted out and, and get ready to go. I'm, I'm pretty much ready to take my written. I'm just kind of waiting until I can get a few flight hours and kind of talk yeah. it out with a CFAA and then. Yeah. 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 There's go. a lot of us that are in that, that space um, where it's on the agenda to get done, not getting done as soon as we would like, et cetera. There's also many of us in here that it, uh, in the chat uh, that have recently gotten it done and are inspirations to us all. But, but I mean, the, you know, one of the things we actually had a whole episode on essentially like, uh, you know, whether to, is, what's the value of getting your instrument rating? Because as much as it's a common thing of, yes, you'll be a better pilot. Yes. You'll be able to do more. Yes. You'll be able to file. Yes. You know, there's a lot of reasons, but I think that when you're not a person that's looking at it for a career and, you know, perhaps someone like me, that's a, like a renter, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be kind of more naturally fair weather anyway. Um, and you know, to, to put forth the expense that it really could actually be close to, uh, some sort of a down payment on an airplane, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I, I guess, you know, and also just, there's a lot of people we've talked to, um, uh, Evans, a guy that's, that's in our, our group here that, uh, you know, he, he went right into instrument training and, and he looks at me with having, you know, being 250 hours or whatever, even though I'm not instrument rated, he kind of looks at me as like, wow, like you've sort of been out there and, and using it and doing stuff. And he's sort of been, it's kind of like the difference between like when your friends go from straight from high school to college versus like the, the, the guys that like, you know, you, you go out and you're just like, no, I'm just going to get a job and just hang out for a while. And then two years into college, you're like, man, that seems like a better, like, what am I doing in college? And, and then well, this all catches up though, right? It wraps around, right? Because after college, you know, if you're still the guy that just got the job after high school, then, you know, but you know what I mean? So it's just an interesting sort of a uh, set of dilemmas with the instrument rating, but obviously it's, mm -hmm. it's a must. I mean, at some point or another, but I think it's interesting to see how people can kind of pace themselves with it. But uh, that kind of gets me right into the first thing I wanted to ask you about. And I really just thought, you know, because as much as we like to yap about just whatever on this podcast, I really try to figure out, you know, and, and Chris and I talk a lot about what can we do to have to give people value, you know, <laughs> um, what can what can be learned here? And there's a lot of people in similar positions um, and everybody's humble enough to know that if they're not an expert, that's fine. You know, um, uh, but ultimately, 
you've had a couple of videos that really caught my attention. And the first one I wanted to talk to you about was, and I believe it was not long after you got your Mooney. Um, but you had a video where, uh, essentially, uh, you, you, you're really, uh, by the way, I really appreciate in your, your videos, how you, you just tell stories a lot and, and it's kind of like, you're just flying along with a buddy and it's a, it's a novel, simple approach. It's a very good idea. I, I really enjoy it because you can kind of have it on and be doing something else. Like it's not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, um, but you told the story of getting stuck over the clouds and you got yourself into a situation, um, that you you know, didn't enjoy. So mm-hmm. can you just maybe detail that a little bit to walk people through what yeah. happened, what got you into it and, and what you learned? Because I feel like sure. a lot of people could learn. There's a lot of interstitial kind of weird stuff, right? Like when you get out there after your PPL where they don't train, you, you kind of know, like don't fly into IMC, of course, but there's yeah. all this kind of like, is that okay? Like there's a bunch of like intermediary decision-making. And I thought that this was such a cool example of, of how you can, in a small way, get into a a bigger situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll, I'll mention that, you know, I've been flying paramotors since 2016. So quite a while. So I've been flying, um, for a long time. And this, this instance in the movie that you're talking about was the the most scared I've ever been. And I've been, we we can get into the paramotor stories later, but I've, you know, I've had some, I've had some scary moments on that as well. But, um, yeah, so it was like you mentioned right after I bought the Mooney, um, so coming from a Cessna 150 to the Mooney and it was a, a nice day. I checked the weather as I always do. And the forecast was, um, basically said good for flying in the morning, bad for flying in the afternoon. I knew the clouds are going to come in. It was going to be difficult to find VFR conditions, but it was mm-hmm. scheduled to, or forecasted to do that way later in the day, like three, four o'clock. And I was going out at like eight in the morning. So I was like, Oh, I'll be fine to go on a little quick trip. So found an airport with some cheap fuel and headed that way. Um, and what ended up happening was that I, you know, as I'm flying, I get to where I was going and it was like one, one like cloud fog layer right over the top of the airport. And I was like circling and I was like, I mean, I could see everywhere around it, but I couldn't, couldn't get to the airport and I couldn't see the airport. And I was talking to ATC at the time and um, I heard, I heard people requesting the RNAV, you know, to get into that airport. I said, well, if they're, if they're shooting approaches in there, there's no way. So I just told the ATC, I, I'm just going to change my destination. I'm going to go back. Um, the issue was also that I was running not low on fuel, but I was at the point where I needed to start making a decision on where I was going to go to get fuel. Um, so I turned back and I flew like kind of toward home, but toward another airport. And as I'm doing that, the weather is just closing in and closing in and just extremely fast. And I got to an airport that I could have landed at. And I figured, you know, I got enough fuel to get home. I'm going to try to do that. Um, but there was like this giant cloud, like mountain, I'd call it. And I, I climbed up to like seven or 8,000 feet to look over the top of it to see if I could see home. And I did, I got over the top and it was just a sea of white. And by that time I looked back and it was a sea of white and all I could see was white. There was no ground and I was stuck. And, um, I just kind of thinking back to that. I was like, my heart rate was started pumping. I started sweating and I had never been in a situation in aviation where I'd been actually nervous. I've always been very confident and very like, I suppose lucky, but you know, I, I, you know, I do my due diligence and I, I try to, you know, practice safety and, you know, I'm, I'm usually pretty careful, but uh, this, this, I mean, my heart rate was pounding. I was just started thinking about my kids and everything. I was like, I was like, no, 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 stop. And I was like, cause I was getting real nervous and making, making more poor decisions. And I basically just calmed myself down. Uh, I was getting low on fuel. As I mentioned, I had, um, I could see really far that there might, you know, how you can see in the distance. Sometimes you can't really tell if it's the edge of a cloud layer, just like a horizon plane tricks on yeah. your eyes. And I'm like, I could go out that way, but if I fly out that way, I'll definitely be fuel critical and I will not be able to make it back anywhere if, if there's clouds that way. So I just started circling and I said, you know what? Um, I'll, it, worst comes to worst, I'll contact ATC, tell them what happened. Um, and I just started loading the RNAV approach to the nearest airport, right? So I, again, I'm not instrument rated, but I was like, I, if I have to, I can fly an RNAV if it's going to save my life. I'd rather do that than run out of fuel above the clouds and just descend through them, yeah. you know, into the middle of nowhere. So I started doing that and getting prepared to shoot the RNAV and then, uh, or p- prepare for the approach and then call ATC while I'm doing that. Like there's this little hole that opened up underneath me. And luckily I was in the middle of nowhere. So there was no houses or anything down there. I could just see trees and I'm like, I'm going for it. So I go down, I go through this hole 
and I'm at like 600 feet. Luckily, I'm in class G airspace, so I'm still like legal somehow. And I'm just scud running under these clouds. And I know that the airport, because I got four flight and my GPS and everything, I know the airport is like over these trees, but I can't see it. Um, and eventually I made it back and I, I found an airport and I landed at it. And it was, um, I mean, I was shaking when I landed. I was so nervous. And mm-hmm. I just called someone to come get me, even though I knew the weather was going to potentially get better later on. I, yeah. It was, it was a horrifying, horrifying situation to be be up there low on fuel with no way to get down. Whew. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can kind of feel that, um, uh, just that, that, <laughs> that moment where you are so adrenaline out mm-hmm. that you just know it might be totally fine for me to continue, uh, you know, things clear up, whatever, but just being like, Nope, I'm out. Somebody come get me. Yeah. That's, <laughs> It's really, it's really good. And and while I was in the plane, you know, that, that was like the moment, like the, the turnaround moment for me was when I realized I was like, no, I was like, I can fly the plane. I, I know how to fly this airplane. I know, I mean, I have an idea on how to, you know, how to set up for approach. I do a lot of flight simulator too. I've got hundreds of hours on flight simulator. Nearly all of it is practicing IFR approaches. So procedurally, Mm -hmm. I understand it. Um, but when I, you know, when I realized that freaking out, I was like making poor decisions in the cockpit. I was like, this is not going to help. And so I just calmed myself down and said, we're going to, you know, we're going to fly the airplane and we'll, we'll, we'll be okay. I was kind of telling myself that. Um, but when you asked me earlier, what, what could I have done better? Um, cause, cause like I said, I checked the weather and it was not forecasted to do that. But what I didn't consider, um, was the difference going from the 150 to the Mooney. So the 150, um, a 45 minute flight, which is what this flight was supposed to be. 45 minutes was like a local flight in the 150. I mean, 45 minutes I'm, I'm around home, right? So that local weather is still around me. Um, but in the Mooney 45 minutes was, you know, a hundred miles away or whatever it is, however far. So I was super far away and I maybe didn't check the weather over there. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. I can't think back, but I, maybe I didn't consider the weather in that, that area. I think of, I think of all the weather components to me, clouds are the hardest to forecast. Like it's very, something happened to me similarly on my, actually my first uh, flight review just a few months ago, I had a CFII instructor with me to do my flight review and we left out of here. It was supposed to be VFR all day. We weren't in the air 30 minutes and we looked around and everything, all the fields in our area went IFR and we were, we were in the similar situation. We were above the clouds, couldn't get down anywhere and ended up my a joke with people. My, my first ever uh, flight review turned into six tenths of uh, actual IMC log time for me and an approach to minimums into my home airport. Like it was the best flight review of all time. I mean, it was, <laughs> you can, it was, it was freaking awesome, but I was wow. like also fortunate to be in a IFR certified airplane with a CF you know, doing my flight review. And so I had all of the, all of the ways to get home, uh, without all of the fear, uh, that goes with it being by yourself. And so it, I just think clouds are so hard. You just, clouds just mm-hmm. never seem to do what you think they're going to do. Yep. Yeah. They've, also, they've stranded oh, me so many times. <laughs> also, there's that whole thing of, you know, when you're training, uh, at the private level, there's just only so much exposure you get to just kind of what things can just sort of look like. You know, like Tom, when you were talking about, like, I could kind of see far off and I'm not sure it was sort of like, was it a mirage or was it a, mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's just a lot of that nuance that you just, you kind of just have to get out there once you get your cert- certificate and start to kind of, you know, figure out, okay, when things look like that, it kind of means this, you know, there's not a, there's not a key for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so I want to know, uh, so starting in paramotoring and then coming over to fixed wing after that, how much do you think um, did the paramotor experience that you had going into your fixed wing training, uh, how much of it was applicable and how much did it help? Like, was there a lot of it that crossed over? I mean, was there a lot of benefit, do you think, having had that aviation experience before you started? Um, so I've been asked this question a few times and I don't, I don't know because I was so... I guess, obsessed with aviation aside from paramotoring that, that I can't tell what would help me more. Right. Like I said, it's, I've been into flight simulator from, you know, since I was a kid. And so I've done a lot of that. Um, I've had friends with airplanes that I was able to fly in. Um, and for paramotoring, I think it depends on how serious you take it because there's no license required for that. So you could, you know, legally I could give you my paramotor you can go fly it. Nice. Um, yeah. So, 
you Thanks, know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but, um, but you know, so you get a whole like, I don't know, spectrum of people in Paramore. You get people that just think it looks cool and they, they literally buy it off the internet and go try to fly themselves. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And then you get people that take it really seriously and, um, you know, learn from it. So I, I think it did help me, but it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say how much I, I know mm-hmm. it definitely helped me with like navigating and pilotage and dead reckoning. Cause you don't really have a GPS up, up there with you. You just, you know, you're, you just have your knees pretty much in front of you and then mm-hmm. open air. So it helps with that for sure. But I also don't really fly like, I, like I, I do a lot of aerobatics on my paramotor. So I, you know, can't really do that in my Mooney. <laughs> There's limits, I suppose you have to follow. Um, Hey, so um, the other thing I wanted you to run through real quick, and then we'll take some of these questions and all that for you. But um, uh, you had another scenario that I thought was really interesting. You know, we've, we've got some people that have just recently passed their check rides. Uh, Congratulations, Steve cross uh, for passing his check ride last week. I think it was Uh, he passed, he passed his check ride and the weather's just been straight garbage ever since. So he's just, He's just wilting on the vine with this new certificate. But um, but a lot of us, you know, you get out there. Another thing you just you don't get training in, and we talk about this a lot too, is is just, you know, what it is to deal with passengers and um, how best to orchestrate your, your flights with, with, with people and, and all of the things that can go along with that. And I thought it was really interesting, uh, your, your video about – uh, and again, it's just you telling the story. So we didn't have to watch the horror show. <laughs> you just get to see like, the, the, the calm recollection of it afterward while you're just sort of flying along. <laughs> but you had a story about basically, and I totally felt it because it's, you know, it's like, man, you know, when you get your certificate and you got a fast plan, it's like, man, I'm ready to go. Like, I want to take my family and I want to go. You just kind of just want to do stuff. Right. And you get these kind of visions in your head about what it is you want to do. And, and you know that you're, I mean, you're taking it seriously and you're trying to forecast all the things that can kind of go wrong, or you're trying to mitigate any stresses or anything like that. But sure enough, uh, when you took your family to Chicago from your, you're in South Carolina, so that's a decent little hall there. Mm-hmm. Um, in a Mooney that must take like 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> I know, but, uh, <laughs> uh, 40, yeah, like 40 minutes and like a hundred gallons of fuel. No, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, so you, you did this flight and, and, um, you know, some things went kind of crazy, uh, in a couple of few different ways. So maybe if you can just recount for us, cause I really, and, and from the standpoint of, you know, if you could talk to a new pilot, that's eager to get out there and do stuff, right. To mm-hmm. fly with your family or to, to take longer trips. Uh, but maybe, uh, tell us that story. Sure. Yep. So I'm from Chicago originally. So we were planning a trip to go home. That was always kind of my dream. I was like, you know, have my own airplane with four seats and take my whole family back to, back to Chicago, back to the first airport I ever flew an airplane out of when I was uh, 16. And, um, it was just a dream of mine. So I was like, wait, waiting for it to happen. Found, found a good stretch of what I thought good weather. Cause obviously I'm only VFR. So I, I needed good weather on both sides of my good weather. If that makes sense. Right. I, I couldn't, couldn't risk it. Um, and I have two young boys. So right now they're four and six, um, at the time they were three and five. So they were young. Um, my five-year-old had been up with me before, so I knew he could handle an airplane. He was fine. And my three-year-old, um, had only been up once I took him up and he had a kind of an earache at the time. So he actually didn't enjoy the flight. So I knew it was going to be kind of a toss up. So, um, but like you said, uh, Charleston, South Carolina to Chicago, Illinois was a, a long haul. And the Mooney, the flight time was only like four and a half hours. Um, so that's like a one leg trip for me. If it was just me in the plane, I could do that on one leg, um, probably, with, probably without refueling. Um, but with, with the kids, I knew I'd have to stop um, at least once. So I planned one stop. And yeah, it was, it was just way, I knew it was going to be stressful, but it was way more stressful than I anticipated. So you know, we, we, the, the flight there was, was okay. The, the weather was decent, but it was really windy, really turbulent. So, um, you know, we, I, that doesn't bother me, but when you have passengers that, you know, my wife was okay, but the kids, they didn't like it and they don't understand. They, they couldn't appreciate the seriousness of flying is the best way I could describe it. Um, for example, we're at 10,000 feet, 10,500 feet over Indiana and my six year olds, like, I gotta go to the bathroom. I was like, 
no, you know, I asked you, no, we're not going to the bathroom. He's like, dad, you know, he's yelling in the back. I got a poo. I got a poo. <laughs> uh, dude, you cannot. And then he's like, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> oh my God. So I, you know, I tell ATC, I'm like, I got to get down like now. And you know, like, is it an emergency? I'm like, I got a sick passenger. And so they, they helped me get down, but I get down and he's like, oh, I guess I don't have to poo. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, dude, you don't understand. Like, so you can't explain that to a six-year-old, how serious it is to like descend from 10,500 feet, you know, like that's a lot of work. So it was, it was stuff like that. And then what weather wise on the way back, uh, we, we had to postpone our trip home a couple of days waiting for good weather, but it was just windy and just really, really windy. Um, so we finally got a, um, you know, window for some decent weather and we, 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 you know, we tried to leave. We left and this is part of the story, but the on takeoff leaving Chicago is super windy. It's like 20 degrees Fahrenheit. It's freezing cold. And on takeoff, my wife's door popped open and in the moon, you, you just cannot get it closed in flight. So the kids are in the back screaming, oh, we, we don't want mommy to die. They were saying, I was like, it's fine. It's fine. I'm yelling and my wife is like scared and there's, it's all windy in the cockpit. She's holding the door. I was like, just hey, hold on to the door. We'll be fine. We'll land. And um, that was on me. So that's actually kind of an embarrassing thing for me to say because, you know, I checked the door. I pushed on it like I do my, on all my checklists, but I didn't check the door and the handle. Right. So I pushed on it. It didn't open. So I was like, oh, it's good. Now I know. Push and check the handle. So it's amazing how many things, by the way, are just like that's never going to happen again kind of things that happen. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but by the way, and, and you, you know, I want you to continue, of course, but I just wanted to say, like, you know, you, you're kind of glossing over this, but you know, to have a, a bunch of wind in the plane, the door open, yeah, trying to figure out if, if your wife can get it shut, knowing that she probably can or that you can't, the kids screaming, yeah. people feeling like they're gonna, you know, it's like a, it's, it's like an airplane movie, but not funny. And it was like 15 gusting, like 30 that day too. It was really, really windy. And it was not down the runway either. It was, it was cross. So it was just a stressful day. Oh man. I mean, that's, that's a lot. It was. Yeah. And then, you know, we we landed, got the door sorted out and and took back off. And uh, that, that flight home was because I'm not IFR and I don't have any kind of de-icing capability on the airplane. You know, it was a lot of avoiding moisture because it was really cold and I was terrified of icing. And Looking back, I think I was more terrified than I had to be just because I was ignorant to it. But um, I've since flown with a good buddy of mine who um, has experience flying and icing because his Mooney is, um, has de-icing capability on it. So, you know, he's kind of telling me where, where you have to start worrying about ice and how fast it actually accumulates, things like that. And I, for me at the time when I was flying back from Chicago, I thought you touch a cloud and you just are covered in ice. You know what I mean? I, I really yeah. didn't know how fast it accumulates. And I also wasn't willing to risk it with my family on the plane. So... Um, it was, it was a very interesting trip home. Um, we, we flew like at 1500 feet over the entire state of Indiana, which is pretty crazy to fly that low, that long. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'd say the last hour and a half of that trip was actually amazing. Cause I was able to get up to 11, five finally. And I had like a 60 knot tailwind. So I was, you know, over 200 knots over the ground and that was pretty fun. But, um, yeah, moral of the story, not doing that again, at least till I'm IFR rated and yeah. probably until the boys are a little bit older and can, can appreciate the seriousness. So. Tom Kubot is our guest uh, on the podcast uh, tonight. He's uh, on YouTube at youtube.com slash Tom Kubot. And a lot of people talking in the, a lot of people talking in the chat. If you're uh, catching the audio version of this podcast, we record every other Wednesday night at eight o'clock Eastern um, on the Midlife Pilot YouTube channel. And uh, Josh uh, McElhatton, who uh, is a friend of ours, says uh, flying with family is the reason he got his license and they're loving the travel freedom. It gets easier as they get older. Uh, no doubt. He has uh, teenage kids. And so that's definitely a different. Uh, Don't worry, Tom. It'll be fine in just like 12 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just hang on. <laughs> hang on. Hey, by the way, Tom, so real quick, you have you want to become a professional pilot. What flavor? Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? Uh, I mean, obviously, you're hell bent to do it. I appreciate how motivated you are. We're all kind of insane in that way. Um, so it's just nice to see other people with the same kind of affliction, but everybody's got their own special flavor of aviation addiction. And I, I appreciate that you're going professional. What, what's, what's your aspiration there? Um, so people ask me this a lot too. And, uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't really know yet. If I, if I had Perfect. my way, if I had my way, I'd be flying business jets. Um, and I would not have the same mission any you know, any two days in a row, something like that. Right. I, I like the idea of flying into small airports, not knowing where I'm going things like that. But I'm also not against flying, you know, regional airlines or even in the airlines, right? I just, I I really enjoy flying. I love pretty much everything about it. 
And, um, but if I had my way, I'd be flying like a Cessna Citation CJ4 into yeah. some cool airports. That's kind of <laughs> what my, my, my instructor, my private instructor, that's what he's doing now. It's just like for a private owner and, and he's just kind of doing that thing. But um, real quick, I wanted to say before we get to Ben's uh, thing, and we'll have to introduce Ben to Tom. <laughs> but uh, uh, So when you... When you talk about uh, you know this this uh, this career aspiration and, and you don't really really know, I mean, is is that something where you you it doesn't really matter because you just need to pursue the ratings and the time that you need anyway. So just sort of let that kind of happen. And then also the second question is, do you feel like even in that sort of uncertainty, do you have any kind of concern perhaps that what you love will kind of turn against you in some way because it is now a career or a job. Cause like, for instance, like I, I did music for a lot of years and, and, you know, had a studio and was producing records, doing all this stuff. And there's just a point where it's like, what I wanted to do my whole life, you get to a point where it's like, wow, this looks, feels, smells, and is everything like what I've always wanted to do. And I've got to get out of here. Like if I have to hear this song one more time, I'm going to kill someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, that's, that's my dark way of saying, oh, what do you think? You get tired of it? I, I thought about that. I I think the answer to that is no. I mean, obviously, it, it it will be a job, so there'll be that part of it. But I think maybe had I gotten into aviation, you know, in college, like I wanted to, I I'd be more at risk for that happening. But yeah, you know, I've been, you know, I've got I've got an office job. I've been I'm an engineer. I'm in supplier quality for a, a really really big company, and you know, I have an office job. So I. uh yeah, anything's better, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to say. I always say that I'm I'm very grateful for my job. Very, very grateful. It, you know, of course, allowed me to fly. I've got it. You know, can support my family on it. Things like that. Uh, but it's not. I wouldn't go if they didn't pay me. Is what I always like. What I what I tell people. So um, may, maybe had I not had the experience of sitting in an office staring at spreadsheets all day, yeah, I'd, I'd be at risk of of that. But I think that when it when it finally happens for me and I I finally am able to get paid to do what I love to do. Um, I think I'll be so grateful for it that I don't. Yeah, I don't think it'll get old. I think mm-hmm. I'll be, I'll be stoked. <laughs> so pull pull that comment from the sage back up uh, from Ben. Yeah, Ben uh, Ben Singer, uh, the sage, as we affectionately uh, refer to him, uh, said, "I've been watching Tom's videos for a couple months now. I have never seen anyone with better checklist discipline." than he i strive to run checklists as well as he does <laughs> nice. that's a that's a that's a point of emphasis for you i guess that's something you take very seriously i do yeah um i take everything in the airplane very very seriously in fact my wife was telling me the other day she's like yeah i like flying places but she's like it takes you it takes you like 45 minutes to just get off the ground I'm like yeah <laughs> like it's it's always gonna take that long you know because i you know i do i do lengthy pre-flights i do I checklist every time. I don't, I don't skip on that ever. That's good. Todd has a question for you as well. Uh, he says, I love your videos, especially the Cessna 150 video. So my question is, am I nuts to be a grown man who wants a Cessna 150? <laughs> I suppose how it depends on how grown he is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, I mean, I, like I was, I was telling these guys earlier, I, I love my Cessna 150. I wish, I wish I could have both planes. I wish I could have afforded both. Um, cause it's a completely different kind of flying that the one fifties, like a, the plane I would choose going to the airport on a nice calm night. You want to do a sunset flight over a lake or just something like that. I, I'm getting the one fifty every time. Um, just cause it's more of a, a, a pilot's airplane. You're just, it's bare bones. You're flying it ton of fun to fly. You could throw it around. Um, it's awesome. So no, you're not crazy at all. <laughs> I wish I could still have mine. That's fair. But it's yeah, my favorite. It's my it, yeah. favorite. It depends what you want to do, right? I guess because the weight, you know, useful loads what five hundred pounds on a one fifty. So yeah, if if you're lucky, yeah. And, and down there in Charleston, you know, if you with the heat, it's probably like a yeah. You're like, oh man, kids wants to come with me. Just one. I took. I took. I don't know. I well, think it, it only has six. two seats, Brian. It only has two seats, so there's only going to be one, regardless. That's right. I took uh, six people flying in one day in my 150 in the summer in South Carolina, and it was brutal. It was up and down and up and down. And um, yeah, climb rates at 200, 250 feet a minute was what I was seeing. So, <laughs> oh man. 
Um, yeah, one dull geek said something about like I was stepping on your dreams. I just want yeah. you to know, Tom, I'm not stepping on your dreams by just <laughs> asking the question. Uh, do you f- feel like you might have be in a state of conflict about you know career versus the love? It's not that binary, and we we know that it's um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's gonna be you know. Of course, every job has its challenges. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, Chris is not even getting paid right now, and he's standing in an 18 degree hangar <laughs> with his hands in his pockets. Yeah, looking like he's waiting at a bus stop. Yeah, but there's a, a lot of there's a lot of different aviation like things you can get into too. Right, I've got the paramotor that scratches a very different itch. Like tonight, I was I went I had the choice airplane or paramotor, and I chose a paramotor because it was a nice night. I wanted to go rip on the paramotor and get upside down. So, um, you know, there's that. I I took aerobatics training the other day in a, a super decathlon, which was amazing. So that's like something I'm thinking about now. Like, okay, maybe once I get the hours I need out of the Mooney, maybe I'll sell it, you know, cause I'll be flying, you know, for a living. And then I'll have the decathlon or something similar to that yeah. to go do aerobatics in. Cause that was a ton of fun. So, you know, I'll, I'll find something I'm sure. That's very cool. A friend of mine who's a pilot who flies a uh, Airbus. Um, he, he, he called, he said, I told I, I was real proud. It's like, Hey man, I got my private pilot certificate. He flies an A380 or whatever. <laughs> And he's like, oh, cool. Like, I, he said, have you got your instrument rating yet? I said, no, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it, you know. And he's, he says, oh, so you're just doing recreational gas burning. <laughs> that's what he yep. called it. So, uh, but I think the paramotor, that's got to be like the ultimate recreational gas burning. Yeah. It sounds fun. It's so fun. Yeah. I'll never give that up. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, Flysport wants to know more about aerobatics training. Um, yeah, so that, that was an accident. I actually, I, I think it was today. I think I uploaded a YouTube video today, um, going over this whole thing. So if, if you are interested, you could, you could look that up, but I could, I could tell you now too. Um, it was kind of an accident. Um, my buddy was taking airbatics training and I was just flying on Saturday morning and was like, well, oh, that's only like 40 minutes away. Let's go see what he's up to and flew out there and, you know, landed, they landed behind me and, uh, they're like, yo, get, go take up the super decathlon, go fly. I'm like, no, no. And like, come on, go. I was like, I don't want to take up your guys' time. And they convinced me, you know. So I was like, all right. And they strapped the parachute on me, put me in the plane. And uh, I went up and took an hour of aerobatics training. And the flight instructor that went, her name was Mac. And she was she was awesome. And she's asking me on the way out there. She's like, yeah, you know, are you going to gonna be okay? going to get sick? I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to get sick. No, no, like whatever you could throw at me, throw You're at like, me. You're like, I need to poo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, we got to land now. <laughs> Uh, but no, I was, you know, I, I basically told her, I was like, look, I do, I do aerobatics, you know, on my paramotor. I know that's not what you guys do, but I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm used to this kind of thing. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to get scared. Let's do it. And so she, she put me through it, man. And we did, we did everything we did. I mean, loops, Emmelman's, aileron rolls, barrel rolls, uh, Cuban rolls, st- sustained inverted flight, uh, hammerheads, which was, were a ton of fun, just everything, man. And, um, yeah, it was, it was epics. And of course, I didn't have any cameras on me. I was so pissed, but uh, I'm going to go back and do another, um, actually, you know, a few hours of, of training with her. And um, she told me, guys, I told her I have a YouTube channel. She's like, yeah, come back with cameras. We'll strap them on the plane and we'll go, we'll go through it. So yes. Yeah. It's going to be fun. But that it was, it was awesome. It was cooler than I thought it would be. Amazing, man. That's I love awesome. it. I love things like that that just happen. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's that like- makes it. Because if you were thinking about it, you probably would have been a little bit more amped up about it. You might have yeah. thought about it a little bit too much, you know. Um, so that's that's amazing. And one of the things I wanted to mention real quick too, at least touch on while we have you here, is you know, I mean, obviously you're 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 cranking out YouTube content or whatever you call it. Um, you know, is that something you've always done with video? Uh, that start with your aviation experience and paramotoring, or is that? And then you know, what are your aims with respect to just kind of uh, making videos or filmmaking or any of that? Yeah. So it did start with paramotoring. Originally it started as a way to store video for free. Cause, um, I didn't have a lot of hard drive space. So I was like, I'll oh, just upload it to YouTube and delete it. Yeah. And, um, uh, at the time also I had no family that lived here. So, you know, I was up doing this cool thing I thought, and I wanted to share it with my family back home. And so I uploaded just raw GoPro files up to YouTube and say, Hey, here's the link. This is what I did today. And it was horrible. It was just engine noise and my feet, you know, it was just the worst video ever. And, um, then I edited one of them and I was like, you know, this is kind of fun. So just kind of got into it that way. I just realized that I enjoyed the, 
I guess, artistic side of editing video. Yeah. So um, paramotoring, paramotoring ASMR sucks is what you're saying. What's, I don't even, <laughs> yeah, see, I don't even know what ASMR is. <laughs> just like the, what is it? It's like the, the people that just want to hear sounds, you know, soothing yeah. sounds. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. I, I have a nice vlogging helmet that I built with like a like a nice microphone. So now when I go up, I can talk and you don't hear the engine just blaring. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before I had the helmet, yeah, unwatchable. <laughs> so so you got into the, the creative aspect of editing and you, you found yourself actually enjoying it, not not uh loathing it. You know, some people just take yeah. to it and some people it's a it's a labor, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it's my channel's not huge. Um I, I'm trying to take it more seriously now and actually be consistent with uploading and kind of see where it goes. Cause I've been kind of, you know, black statistical about it and just uploading. The struggle is real, buddy. Not, yeah. Not, now. The struggle not, is real. But uh, yeah, like I said, I'm, a, I'm, I'm trying to do it, be a little more serious about it and see, you know, what I can do. And it, it helped me out with paramotoring. I was, I got, I had a sponsorship for a while for paramotoring that, you know, allowed me to do things in paramotoring that I otherwise couldn't. So, you know, it worked out. It was fun. Yeah. Well, I think you've got a good handle on, on, um, on what, you know, telling stories, right. In a, in a conversational way. And that's something that I'd very much appreciate because, you know, some of the stuff can get real, um, I don't know, kind of canned and sort of a little presentation-y, uh, mm-hmm. for me sometimes. And I think that's Chris, what I also liked, uh, you know, in the beginning about all your stuff, you know, is just that it, it felt like, uh, it felt approachable and it felt conversational. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, you get to experience some things, maybe learn some things, you know, get a different perspective from somebody you feel sort of akin to in some way, but also they're different enough to kind of have a different outlook. So, uh, you know, I mean, (laughs) whereas like the videos that I'm making are just like, dude, what are you on? Well, I, I have to tell Tom, I, uh, it cracked me up. I was watching some of your some of your videos this week, getting ready for this. And uh, my, one of my favorite lines from them, you were you were trying to tell a story, and you were on flight following, and it was just nonstop radio. And Tom gets on and goes, um, "I forget your tail number, blah blah." blah. I'm going to cancel flight following at this time. And it's like Squawk VFR frequency change approved. And he's like, Squawk VFR frequency change approved. And he's like, "We'll monitor guard here for ten minutes so I can get through this story." And like <laughs> it was just like the silence set in, and like you could just get on with your thing. It just cracked me up. It's like let's reduce some of this background noise literally for 10 minutes so i can tell this story <laughs> yeah i learned don't don't get radar services when you're trying to record a video just do it oh, after. it's hard isn't it it's <laughs> yeah. constant <laughs> yeah so uh let's see you got a question uh wants to know tom do you plan out your videos ahead of time like write scripts or talk or, or do you just kind of go for it um i i do plan them out I used to try, just hook up the cameras and kind of see what happened, but that didn't usually make good content. Uh, there's never any scripts, but I'll, I'll have a general idea. And, um, you know, I have on my phone, every time a video hits me, I write it down on my phone. I'm like, okay, this would be a good video idea. And I put it down. And um, if I know I have like a Saturday free, I'll look at my phone and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this this Saturday. And it'd be a good time to make this video. And depending on how much time I, I can put into it, I'll, I'll put more production value into it. So I'll, different camera angles, you know, the stuff where you put the camera in the door, then open the door. So, you, you know, do all the, all that crap and the edit it. Oh, yeah. And, um, I found that if, you know, if you do that kind of stuff, the editing is actually way easier because you have a complete story and you're not having to like record yourself at home, filling in gaps and things like that. So I do try to plan them out, you know, with that, in that respect. But, um, yeah, when I'm, when I'm filming, it's, it's not scripted. I'm just going for it, but I cut, 90% of everything out of videos, you know, oh, I, yeah. I, I talk forever and then I edit. And if it's a 25 minutes, I, I find 10 minutes in that video that I can, I can scrap. If it doesn't contribute to the story, I, I get rid of it. Yeah. That's really, it's, it's cool to see people that are only coming about that through aviation. Whereas, you know, Chris and I have done some of that, you know, professionally, or I guess theoretically, that's what I do for a living. I, I, I can't, I'm not really sure how I got here, but that's what I'm doing. Um, but it definitely is. Uh, it's like what's that? The, the Pascal quote. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to write a shorter letter. You know, people don't realize how hard it is to to get concise and to to shrink things down. And you know, uh, I like that quote. Yeah, <laughs> it's really. I mean, because I have clients all the time that say, you know, they'll ask for, you know, what what would you charge me to do to make this kind of a thing? Like, I like this thing you did for this person. 
Um, but that thing you did for that person is 10 minutes long. I just want the same thing, but five minutes long. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, then, then twice as much. You know what I mean? It's like, right. And they, they just don't understand those inverse relationships uh, at all. So it's cool that you're minded that way. And I think that maybe that's, it's amazing how like in editing, you know, all of those little, you know, it's a thousand little decisions that create this higher yield of a, a perspective. And, you know, so I think that when you, when one watches your videos, not that they're, I mean, you're not shooting all this crazy stuff, right? It's, it's, it's not insane, but it's thought, you can tell that it's, it's reasonably thought out and, and appropriately edited and, and, and it feels, uh, more like you're being welcomed in as opposed to an imposition and asking people to sort of endure something, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah. 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 Now, Chris, your stuff on the other hand, well, I, I've it's gotten just, to the, it's just insanity. I, <laughs> I have gotten to the point. I've gotten to the point where, so I started my channel when I started my training back in 2018 and I was, it was just for me, really. I was just like recording my lessons, cutting a few cameras together, putting them up. Cause I like to review them. I like to go back through and see all, cause like in the initial time, it's like everything happened so fast. And it, I learned so much from watching my lessons again. And then it, I, then it made sense to me. I said, why are all these people watching this? Why am I getting all these subscribers? I'm like, well, they're exactly like I am like, as a student, I couldn't consume enough aviation content. It didn't matter mm-hmm. what it was. I would watch everything on YouTube. And so I'm in that phase now where it's, I'm struggling to get back to finding the time to edit the content and get it out on a schedule. But what's helped me from co- a content standpoint, the, the stuff that I find most interesting, and it's stuff that we've all seen 100 videos over. Like I've got one in my mind I'm trying to get out and shoot, and it's a super basic thing. It's like some of my best performing videos are like how I use trim. Like people like the – like I love the idea. Trim is one of my like – I love to preach about trim. I love to like – tell it's cruise control. You're trimming for airspeed. Like once people get the like concept of what trim really does, it's like it's like a light bulb experience for people. So I made one of those, one of my best performing videos of all time on YouTube. Well, I want to do one that's real basic like – the three different ways you can enter a pattern at an uncontrolled airport. Cause I do that every day that's here. And I've had several instances in my channel where things have gone awry with a straight in or whatever. So like those are, I try to start now I've gotten back to the habit of trying to think about content like that ahead of time and go out and oh, shoot yeah. those little one-offs because it's, I take it for granted. I do it all the time at my uncontrolled airport, but I'm thinking back to when I was consuming all this content, it's like, I would have loved to have found a video about that. I'd have watched every second mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, well, it's also like people, you know, you, you get, there's all this content where it's like, I took the most badass plane in the world and I flew it all over the place and did all this shit that you'll never be able to afford to even <laughs> think about doing. Right. Join me for an impossible dream. You know, it's like, geez, right? <laughs> right. Can I have something relatable here? And yeah. it's actually in my world and my wheelhouse. And Chris, to your point, I think that that's a great idea. Uh, and I'll combine this with one of uh, Tom's recent thing. You, you had a video, Tom, where um, you, you were talking about uh, the direct midfield entry at a particular airport. I believe it was mm. you. Right. Yeah. You, you were talking about yeah. there's one airport that's like notoriously crazy in your area. Oh, uh, yeah. And you're like, I, don't, I always do a teardrop here. I never do a direct midfield entry. And I think it's really interesting because number one in training, the direct midfield entry, the first time I ever did did that, my instructor was like, what are you doing? And I was like, this is legal. And he didn't even really understand that. And then the second thing is, is it really the best thing? I, a lot of times it's not. Um, and so maybe that's a great topic for you, Chris, is to sort of the, just to narrow it down forget the pattern entry as much as like this, the very specific, uh, difference between a, a direct midfield entry and a teardrop. Well, yeah. And the cases to use them. So like my argument is like at, at a non busy, a non towered field like mine, when there's no one else here, and if I'm coming from the side that makes sense and I can do and I'm in the one fifty going like 60 miles an hour, like, sure, I'll cross midfield at pattern altitude and just turn left. If there's other people in the pattern, never in a million years would I do it. I would always go out beyond and do a teardrop. Straight ends, I've now sworn off. I was I was one of those like, oh, it's fine. Like, you know, it's fine, the direction of flight. But three times I've been burned almost seriously by that. And I'm like, I've officially now sworn them off for mm-hmm. the rest of my life. Never. Except on an instrument approach, of course. Yeah. So, Brian, you're talking about that airport you know, that I've seen a lot of crazy yeah. stuff happen. Um, so there's a video on my YouTube channel where I caught this on film. I was flying my paramotor. This was, I don't even know, five years ago, probably now, five or six years ago. 
I was flying into that airport on my paramotor and I had the engine off and I was just gliding in and I'm, I have no radio on me and no aviation radio. So I can't talk to anyone on the ground. And I'm looking at the, at the runway. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, there's just airplanes taxiing to either end of this runway. I'm like, that's strange. I'm like, well, I guess it's low wind. So they're just going to, you know, take off whatever runway they want. And then I see them taxi out onto the runway at the exact same time. I'm like, no way. Opposing directions? Opposing directions. Like, this is not happening. And then they start rolling. And I'm like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God. And I have no way to tell anyone, no way to do anything. I have no radio. And and I'm and I'm, so, I'm you know I'm perpendicular to the runway, so I'm watching. And and one of them is a a, a twin engine. What was it? It was a Baron or a Cessna 310, one of the two. And the other was a biplane, and it was like a brown biplane. It was hard to see. If you watch the video, um, watch it in high def and, and look closely, you'll see it. Um, but they they're doing this, and they just go, oh. And I, oh. but you know, for for me, I couldn't see. I was like, I was about to see, you know, the most incredible accident and it was insane just insane and um and i landed i'm telling my buddy i'm like did you just see what happened and he's like yeah and um and i'm freaking out and putting away my my wing and my paramotor and the guy in the twin engine comes back and you know he lands and gets out of his plane i'm like dude that was crazy huh he's like what i'm like what I'm like you almost died he's like what are, you, what are you talking about you got all mad at me i'm like you took off and there was another plane taking off on the room the exact same time. You guys missed by like inches. And he, he just got pissed at me. He didn't want to hear what I had to say. And I was like, all right, bud. <laughs> I was like, I have oh, it all on man. video. But so I posted it. Um, wow. It was it was insane. Man. Dang. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. I've yeah. never heard of such a thing happening, but I know that it does. I'm sure that it yeah. does. Um, most important question of the night is from our buddy Ted, Fly Sport. Um, any aviation <laughs> tattoos, Tom? Not yet. No. Okay. Um, I've thought about. It. I just don't know. You know, I I can't think of anything that's not corny yet. So yeah. like, if you have ideas, let me know. Cessna, then like marked out Mooney, then yeah. Mooney, like marked out. <laughs> just keep getting the tail numbers. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Nope. Right, so uh, Todd uh, Stouffer says, uh, I keep telling myself I'm going to edit a video on how I studied for my PPL written and how I studied and prepped for my check ride because I watched the hell out of those from others. Well, I say. Do it, man. Um, do it. And then, you know, try to figure out a way to do it that other people haven't done it. You know, everybody's got their own unique spin or outlook or something. You know, I think mm-hmm. that, I think that's one of the things I've, I think that's one of the reasons why I make kind of super weird YouTube videos is because I just want to be in a place where, <laughs> I mean, granted, I just sort of exist in my own little growing moss area, but it's like, I want to just be the only person that's doing exactly the thing mm-hmm. that I'm doing. And I feel like the, I'm always wanting to like do the common topics, do the common things. But you know, if there's already 300 videos about that, try to just figure out what is mm-hmm. the, because everybody's got a unique take on something. Don't be afraid exactly to right. have that unique take and lean into it. Yep. Uh, and if you follow my advice, you can languish in obscurity just like me. <laughs> it, it's what I love about YouTube, honestly, and the whole community. And that is for any topic, pick your topic, aviation, um, engineering, Uh, pick a topic in a niche inside of the topic, not even like the whole thing. There's, there, there's enough room for all of the personalities to exist. There's room for content and there's people to watch anything that you'll make, um, on the topic because you just, it just opens up so many avenues for everyone to, to be a creative to the, whatever extent they can be and to tell their own stories around the topic. And I, I can't get enough still to this day. Like, uh, yeah. One dog geek says how to repair your washing machine. My God, how many of those have you watched? Like this part is broke. Like how do I change the thermistor on my dryer? I mean, I've watched so many dryer repair videos, by this point. Like, there's content. second channel idea. Exactly. The second channel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love, I love, and like all of us are completely different. We're making, we're making content about the same topic, you know, but they're, they're so unique uh, from one another just because of circumstance and personality and the things that you emphasize and just, you know, yourself, the, what you bring to it, your own experiences. So, yeah. If you think about even like a, I like a lot of automotive YouTube midlife dryer. (laughs) Uh, Good one, Mr. Geek. Um, In the automotive YouTube world, which I, I, I definitely have to, I'm guilty of being in that world, but the, the idea that, um, 
like somebody like Vice Grip Garage can have a gazillion million followers and his videos are an hour and a half long. You know, he, he, there's nothing about what he's doing that that would any any conventional YouTube enthusiast or or person would say that that's got to be the worst idea ever to have an hour and a half video and all like all of it, all of his videos have millions of views. There's just no rules, man. You can do whatever you want. It's the you know the re, the revolution is not being televised. It's on YouTube or whatever, right? So, I just want people to lean into it, and have fun, yeah, yeah. and do do weird stuff. Yeah, it's gonna sound weird, but I like I make videos that I want to watch. Yeah, and I actually enjoy yeah. going back and watching my own videos. Yeah, it's, it's like a strange yeah. thing. Sometimes I'll pull them up, like, and I'll just relive the experience. And yeah, um, you know, I'll also critique them, like, okay, I shouldn't, I should have cut all this out. This is not worth it. But yeah, um, that's like the whole thing I do as I make videos that that I'll enjoy watching or it's something that I'm looking for. So let me ask you this: Do you ever have? Uh, and Chris, this is for you too. Do you ever have a moment where? Like I don't I don't know what it is about the way that we perceive what we make, but you can edit something forever on your computer and you can render the file and you can rewatch it as a rendered file and it already starts to kind of feel like you're it's starting to kind of work against you somehow because it's decided on, but you're like, no, there's nothing really wrong with this. I'm just gonna go with it. And then there's something about you you put it on YouTube and as soon as it hits youtube if you go and watch it there you're like oh god like why didn't i cut that like what what is that like how is that Mm -hmm. how does that window of perception change just on publishing do you guys experience that or just me being weird i I definitely do and i think it's because the subconscious i already know from the time it's hit it's you know the first couple hours it's got 100 or 200 view whatever you know people have seen it's out there now i'm not yeah. the only one once it's hit youtube i'm not the only one seeing it anymore like i just think i get super caught I t- that's part of my problem tom i told brian we're not gonna get deep it's we got two minutes left but i i get really stuck sometimes like i don't have anything worth publishing and so i just don't i mean i just feel like you know and brian has a we'll have to share someday with you his whole nobody cares philosophy but it's you know this the idea is just that like um like you just said i think you hit the nail on the head like i also try to make things that i want to watch and i i sometimes get caught off guard by commenters are like oh he's using the stupid music again or he's done this or yeah, this would be better without the music i'm like forget it i mean i'm not making it for you it sounds it's not elitist i'm just saying I'm making the content that I, it's, you know, watch it or don't. I mean, I, if it's mm. not your thing, it's totally fine. There's plenty of content for everyone, but it's just like, yeah, I get real hung up on disappointing people or publishing something that's not, that I just feel like isn't, I don't know, you get to a certain point and then that becomes the thought and it's a problem. I got to get out of my own way and keep publishing what I want to publish. That's what it mm. is. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, real quick before we get out, uh, Ben Singer says my next video will hopefully be how to land at your single piston, how to land your single piston airplane at uh, KATL. So uh, he's coming up on a thousand hours, is that right? And so he's looking at making it big. He wants to to go land uh, his thousandth land, thousandth landing, right? A thousandth uh, landing, yeah, yeah. Sorry, at Atlanta, that'd be cool. And uh, you know. Don't even edit it, man. Just, <laughs> just hit record and show it to us. That, that man, that's just so cool. That's a, that's a. You got to do like what two in the morning or something and pay hundred fifty bucks. Yep. Is that what it costs to land at Atlanta? Something like that. Wow. Yeah. Just your wheels touching down. That's immediate hundred and fifty bucks, and they'll find you too. They'll look you up your tail number and send you. A Luckily, bill. my airplane's not registered to me yet, so it's been six <laughs> months. Send it to the other guy. <laughs> Stole, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like good. like a finding an easy pass in the car you just bought, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like sending it. Uh yeah, thousand landings. Uh thanks Ben. Awesome. And um, uh job, anyway, man. so yeah, hey hey Tom, I just want to say man, I really appreciate you coming out uh and and donating some of your time to our cause. Yeah, uh, thank it's you been guys. A pleasure, man. So much for having me. Um like I said my YouTube channel is just my name and uh my Instagram is Tommy flies a lot. So if you guys want to follow me in there you can too. For sure. It's been great. I enjoy your channel and um, keep up the awesome stuff and good luck with your career endeavor. That's awesome. Uh, It's super exciting to be at that stage of life where that's an option for you. And I I know you're going to kill it and uh, we'll keep following along with you and cheering you on. Awesome. Thanks guys. Also, we have to remind people to do the liking or the um, leaving the reviews. That's the thing. This, the reviews, if you go to the Apple podcast thing and leave reviews, it's insane what happens. Uh, 
like all of a sudden just cash just starts coming into my mailbox. It's insane. <laughs> that it's just, not it's not even in the envelopes. It's just cash. Yeah, it's fake news. Fake news. No, uh, just uh, leave, right. leave some positive reviews or whatever if you can. Thanks. Please and thank you. Tom Kubot, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure having you on the Midlife Pilot Podcast. Brian, thank you as always. And thanks to the audience. Episode 29 is in the books and we'll see everyone again in two weeks. Right Cheer. on. And Tom, stick with us. We'll be with you in the green room after for a moment. Right on. Thanks, guys. See you later.